0: Welcome to the Westminster Chapel Podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Welcome to the Westminster Chapel Podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Happy Mother's Day. This isn't quite how we
1: expected to be running this morning, but that doesn't mean today and you are not any less precious. If we take seriously the encouragement in Titus 2 to mentor each other, then we are all spiritual mothers and fathers. And we're going to be unpacking the book of Esther today, and we're going to see some of that in action with the relationship between Mordecai and Esther. Now, I don't watch TV these days. I'm not sure what the adverts are, but when I was a child, this time of year was full of adverts for anti-aging cream. It never struck me as a brilliant Mother's Day gift, but 20 years on, I'll admit I asked for some for Christmas. But you see, these products, their promises are just so enticing, aren't they? Capture youth, stay perfect, trust your hair to an invisible force. Pretty much all of these are lies, I'm afraid. We will all age, however much my son refers to the day when he will be in charge and older and I'll be younger. That day isn't coming. Beauty is for us women a complicated issue. I still remember the shame of queuing up for my French class when I was 13 and two boys chanting that I was the ugliest girl in the world. I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. Two years later, I was the victim of an indecent assault on my walk to church by by an older teenage boy. And that became a bit of a pattern for my young adulthood of things like that happening and being followed home by men. It was at times terrifying. But then our physical appearance, it has a power with it as well, doesn't it? I still remember I used to ask my beautiful colleague to buy my coffee for me because she was much more likely to get it for free at Pret. We too often judge each other by our outward appearance, deciding character based on physical beauty. She's so put together, she must be stuck up. She's too beautiful or not beautiful enough to be in my circle. Wherever we see ourselves on that cultural measuring tape of beauty, for all of us, it can be a source of loneliness and shame. Toni Morrison, the winner of the 1993 Nobel Prize in Literature, she wrote in her first novel, The Bluest Eye, probably the most destructive ideas in the history of human thought, both originated in envy, thrived in insecurity, and ended in disillusion. In equating physical beauty with virtue, she stripped her mind, bound it, and collected self-contempt by the heap." Physical beauty is real. It surrounds us in creation. And it's in people too. The Bible describes 24 people as physically beautiful. It was intended to be a revelation of God's glory, but we've turned it into an expression of a false glory of an individual. And it's into this complicated narrative of beauty, no better back in 485 BC, that we meet Esther, this orphaned girl raised and adopted by her uncle Mordecai. She's living in a foreign land with rising anti-Semitism and God has made her very beautiful. And that is dangerous and it brings opportunity. And it exists very separately from the development we see in her character and in her faithfulness to God. So to start, we're gonna watch this short video, which just explains the story of the book of Esther. So we all have the plot in our minds.
2: Now it's time for a Bible story. There once lived a young girl named Esther. She lived with her adopted father Mordecai in the city of Susa and they were secretly Jews. Now at that time, the Jewish people were under the rule of the Persian King Xerxes, who as it happened, needed a new wife. King Xerxes brought together all the most beautiful girls of the land so they could pick a new wife. And one of these beautiful girls was Esther. These girls went through days and days of beauty treatments and in time, Esther became favored by everyone and she was selected to be queen. Mordecai, Esther's father, would walk around the palace gates hoping to hear from Esther. And on one day, he overheard a plot by two of the king's guards to kill King Xerxes. No, you do it. Mordecai told Esther what he had heard, and Esther told the king, who dealt with the problem. Even though Mordecai saved the king's life, he never received an award, and the king never knew what he did. And then Mordecai found himself in trouble when a man named Haman rose to power. Haman was second in command to Xerxes and would command all people to bow down to him. But Mordecai wouldn't, as he would only bow down to God. Haman was furious and began plans to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. (laughs) Haman created a law that all Jews must be killed, even the women and the children. So Mordecai went to Esther and begged her to speak to the king. But she was afraid, for if she visited the king without an invitation, she would be killed. But Esther responded to Mordecai asking everyone to pray for her and decided she would approach the king even if it meant death. Esther went to Xerxes and because he loved her, he asked what it is that she wanted to ask him. She said, If it pleases you, my lord, you and Haman are invited to a dinner I have prepared. Time came for the meal and at the end of the meal, the king asked Esther again what she wanted. She replied, Come with Haman tomorrow to another banquet. Then I will answer your question about what I want. That night, the king couldn't sleep and decided to look through his book of records. He then discovered that it was Mordecai that had saved his life and decided to do something great for him. Haman arrived and the king asked him, what would be a way of celebrating such a great man? Now, Haman thought the king was talking about himself and suggested that a robe and a horse be provided for this great man to ride on. Perfect, said the king, and commanded Haman to arrange those things for Mordecai. Haman wasn't pleased. (laughs) The next day came and it was time for Esther's second dinner feast. And at the end of the meal, King Xerxes yet again asked Esther what it was she wanted. She responded, if it pleases you, let me live. This is what I ask, and let my people live too. For Haman wishes to kill me and all other Jews. The king was furious and had Haman taken away, removing all these possessions and giving them to Mordecai, giving him the position of second in command. Ooh, a hat. The king wrote a new law for God's people and Esther and Mordecai lived their life serving the king.
1: Missing from that video is that before the harem, the king had another wife, Vashti, whom he had murdered because she refused to attend a banquet he requested her to join when he was drunk. So today we're gonna to look at three elements that we see through, revealed through Esther's character. The first of those is the invisible force behind her secondly the faithful mentor beside her and thirdly the developing beauty within her so firstly the invisible force behind her l'oreal invited us to trust our hair to an invisible force and the book of esther invites us to entrust our lives into a seemingly invisible god esther is only the second book in the bible that doesn't directly mention god at all Yet he is ever-present, actively orchestrating a great rescue plan for his people. The book is riddled with the most unlikely of coincidences. Just to mention two of many, many is that Mordecai, his unrewarded loyalty in saving the king's life, just happened to be read the night the king just happened not to be able to sleep, which just happened to be the night that Haman was constructing gallows to kill Mordecai. Why couldn't the king sleep that night? Who was keeping him awake? Why did the reader start reading at that point in the records? That Esther, out of thousands of beautiful women, won the king's favour and became crowned as queen just before a plot began to unfold to exterminate her people. Despite all Haman's scheming, God's providence continues to prevail. There is a literary intentionality behind the less visible nature of God in this book. Isn't that how we live life? Isn't that how life so often feels, perhaps now more than ever? Yes, God speaks to us directly through words of knowledge and shows his power through miracles, but these times they punctuate often long periods of working out our salvation, what it means to live for Jesus in our circumstances, and what often just feels like silence and confusion. When work is hard, when finances are tight, which many of us will be in coming weeks and months, when we're lonely, When we're scared, when we look around and we see a growing society that's at odds with our morality. I know I have moments of feeling overwhelmed and feeling alone. It's not always easy being married to a minister and sometimes I think I daydream about being married to a maths teacher. Although I appreciate being a maths teacher probably isn't as easy as in my mind I make it out to be. When we read the book of Esther, it encourages us to join the dots together, to build on our knowledge of God's character from the rest of the Bible, to see God at work. And in doing so, it invites us to reflect on our own lives, to see God at work, to see the coincidences through the confusion and know that God is with us. He is never absent. He is the great weaver that's putting every thread into this tapestry that only He can fully see, that we will only fully know in eternity. God holds it all together. What is it that you think you can't live without? A little while ago, I had to go two weeks without 4G or reliable Wi Fi. I seriously would have answered that question with the internet. Sometimes it's my husband, a wonderful support, but someone I go to too often instead of or before rather than as well as God. Perhaps right now for you, it's more social contact. God is saying that it is him, even if you don't see him and you choose not to listen to him. If you were to read this book in its original Hebrew, you would find God's name Yahweh as an acrostic written backwards and forwards throughout this book. An acrostic is when certain letters in a line are used to form a word somewhat hidden in the text. For example, Holly only likes lemons yellow, would make my name, H-O-L-L-Y. It's a really skilled literary technique and it literally weaves God's name into the story. As we read it, we're meant to join with David in Psalm 139 and proclaim, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Esther knew that God wasn't silent or invisible in her life. On determining to stand up for her people, the first thing that she does is instruct Mordecai and all the Jews in Susa to gather together to fast, usually accompanied by intensive prayer for three days and nights. When I feel anxious, I usually seek encouragement, someone to tell me that I can do it. But Esther knows that she can't do this without God's help. See, real lasting encouragement doesn't come from puffing ourselves up, but it comes from looking at the greatness of the God that has gone ahead of us. Esther and the Jews, they fast to remind themselves. They fast to petition God, because they know that they cannot do away with this law to exterminate them without his help. But they also fast to remind themselves of how great God is and to remind themselves of how he already sustains them, seemingly invisibly, day by day. Perhaps you feel like God is invisible in your story today. Can I invite you to look beyond the coincidence that you are listening to this message this morning and join the dots together. He is with you and he is at work. He has weaved his name into the story of your life. Secondly, the faithful mentor beside her. It's a great kindness of God that throughout this time, Esther had Mordecai, he was devoted to her. He went to the court of the harem every day to find out how she was doing. How scary life must have felt for Esther at this point. She suddenly finds herself in brothel training school for 12 months and then everyone has to sleep with the king and the one who pleases him most becomes queen. The rest of them are probably destined to stay in the harem, to please the king when he fancies a change. In a culture that values virginity so highly, no self-respecting Jewish man would probably want to marry a woman who'd been through that experience. A shameful life as a mistress, or a dangerous one as a disposable wife. What a future to suddenly have put upon her. In marriage, most of us hope that the faithful mentor beside us will be our husband, but Esther will never have this gift. We all need a Mordecai. He was a mentor and a guide to Esther in navigating life as a believer in a prejudicial and ungodly culture. He advises her not to disclose her ethnicity. He encourages her. He challenges her when the time comes to speak out and then helps her fulfill that rescue plan. Esther listens to Mordecai. She f- observes his advice and learns from his wisdom. Who is your Mordecai? Who are the spiritual mothers and fathers that you're listening to? Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says, "A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity." Who is the brother or sister that stands with you in adversity? Who are your Esthers to nurture? Maybe you don't have anyone. Can I encourage you to intentionally strike up a friendship with someone or ask someone to help you find someone? This isn't a formal course. It's just a relationship with someone you respect in God. It's looking after your kids together. It's a quick phone call for some advice or when you're feeling lonely and self-isolating. It's a quick coffee and a chat every now and again. It's someone to pray with. When we felt challenged to move here into central London, I wasn't sure. And so I called um, our friend Heather Miller and shared my concerns and she shared her wisdom with us. And we went forward in that decision knowing God was in it. You know, I sometimes feel alone and in need of help. And I've been amazed by the generosity and love of women to come alongside me when I ask. Viola, our new children and families leader who kindly agreed to Skype me once a month to pray for me and my kids and my parenting journey. Our pastoral coordinator, Beryl, who helped me with anxiety over family issue. My university friend, who doesn't bat an eyelid when I phone her in tears, not really sure what I'm doing. My friend, Anna McDowell, who inspires me with her courageous commitment to her work, her kids and to Jesus. And this 80-year-old American woman, an author who I emailed to thank her for a book that she wrote that helped me. And three years on, she still checks in on me every now and again, just to see how I'm doing and share from her decades of experience. These relationships, they all take intentional effort on my part, but I couldn't do life without them. We don't speak as often as I'd like us to, but they keep me going when that temptation to move to some remote Scottish island with only ten inhabitants and a maths teacher husband seems a little bit too enticing. It isn't always easy being a Mordecai. He most likely had a busy job as an official and he's having to go to the harem every day. Takes time and emotional energy. A WhatsApp message won't usually cut it, although I appreciate at the moment we may have to rely on those more. We can't be that person for everybody, but Titus 2 is clear that we're meant to be that person for somebody or some people. It isn't always easy having a Mordecai. It requires listening and not assuming that we know best. It requires humility, respect and discernment, but it is essential. See, we're not meant to serve God alone. We're called to be a part of a body that loves and encourages and sharpens one another. Esther could not have saved her people without Mordecai. and Mordecai couldn't have saved them without Esther. We all need each other. And for some of us, we need each other even more right now than we have for a while. Thirdly, the developing beauty within her. Esther was born beautiful, but her true beauty was learning to walk in obedience and wisdom. Outward beauty helped position Esther, but it doesn't save her people. The king has no problem in getting rid of wives. He's murdered Vashti. He has a harem full of beautiful Esther replacements. And he is not even that infatuated with Esther at the point that Mordecai comes to challenge her. Um, verse, chapter 4, verse 11. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. Physical beauty got the king's attention, but it hasn't kept it. He's grown bored and we can assume seeking the beauty of others right now. No, it's Esther's wisdom and her obedience that will win him to help her. It's worth noting that Esther doesn't exactly jump at the chance to save her people. In fact, chapter four shows us the first time she doesn't immediately go along with Mordecai's advice. Until this point, Mordecai's advice has been about helping her, making her very difficult life easier. But now he comes to her to help others. And that comes with it potentially a very grave cost. So how does she react? Firstly, verse 4, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. The sackcloth is traditional clothing that was worn to express grief in the ancient Near East. Esther, she may not have known of the details of the threat to her people, but Mordecai's clothing was no small matter. It shouted out his grief and anguish. We know that from verse two that people were not allowed to go into the king's gate wearing sackcloth. So Mordecai comes right up to the entrance as close as he can possibly get and still make his distress known. Now, if my parents came to the entranceway to my block of flats in black and crying, I think I would ask them what's wrong. But Esther doesn't. She tries to hide the problem instead. She's probably worried about Mordecai's safety at making a scene and her own There's always situations aren't there where we choose not to know because knowing might make our lives difficult. We might feel compelled to do something that's more than we're willing to sacrifice. Most of us probably don't know the details of how our clothes are made, but we also know that we don't really want to know. Deep down inside that £10 dress, we know it can't be being made in a way that aligns with God's ethics and love for all people but fair trade clothes, I mean, they're so expensive. Having significantly less clothes means that I can't keep up with trends. I could buy that a dress from that party, a charity shop, but it wouldn't be so flattering. And then I couldn't have the dress that I feel like I need despite the seven I already have in my closet. Esther knows from Mordecai's reserved approach so far that he wouldn't go big like this unless something really bad was happening or has happened. But she also knows that from her position, he might ask her for help that entails more than she is willing to risk. Mordecai doesn't accept the clothes. This isn't going to go away, so Esther sends one of the king's eunuchs to find out what's troubling him. And all is explained, and she's given proof, and she's asked to speak out to the king for her people. Her response, I'm so sorry that you're all going to die, but if I try and help you, then I might die. There's no hope, only death. But Mordecai, he remembers the invisible God that is at work and he's put all the dots together. He knows that there's no way that God would have placed Esther at this place, at this point in time, without a purpose. He is like Abraham walking up Mount Moriah with Isaac. He knows logically ahead what looks like sacrificial death for his child, but he knows he has faith that if he aligns with God, then he will come to the rescue. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. God's plan right from the beginning has been to bring blessing to the rest of the world through the Jewish people. So Mordecai knows that God will never let them perish. He keeps his promises. But you and your father's house will perish. But dear Esther, in such a time of adversity, the safest place to be is within the will of God. God will save his people with or without your help but if you align with him, then you too can be sure of your safety. The famous line that convinces Esther, for who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's the moment where all the dots join together for Esther, and she sees beyond the faithful mentor beside her, to the God that goes before her and who has always been upholding her. What a change we see occur in her, from verse 16 right through to the end of the book. She suddenly takes responsibility and ownership for this role God has given her, engaging her own wisdom. The feasts, the approach to the conversations with the king, they're all her own ideas. She suddenly takes this more active role in the story, still listening to Mordecai, but also advising and directing him. Starting with the request to gather the Jews to fast for three days and nights. Our faith is a journey of learning to trust him and being transformed by God's love and by his spirit and that's what we see happen in Esther in chapter 4. God holds fast to us always but we have to learn over time and experience how to hold fast to him and how to let him take the reins of our lives. What obstacles do you have to obeying God? What is the risk or the cost that makes you hesitate time and money are precious in London, I feel those tugs on my heart. For me, I think the most intimidating risk is always relationships, protecting my heart. See, being married to a lead pastor, it comes with wonderful joys, but it can come with its fair share of criticism and hurt too. And most of that I have to trust to God to change in me or to vindicate me in eternity. And that means for me, it results in a temptation to withdraw emotionally and to create distance emotionally and relationally between people that I know. My anxiety is that every time I get hurt, scar tissue forms in my heart and there's only so much scar tissue a heart can take until it just stops working. But the truth is that in Christ, all scar tissue can become muscle again because God is the great healer He has placed me in this deeply relational role, and he's called me to love people regardless. And the safest place for my heart to be is in obedience to him. Obedience. It's not a popular word. Even amongst parents, we prefer like feisty or independent. They're not bad traits, but the Bible puts a real high value on obedience. It's his love language. God loves to see people with hearts and minds that are totally devoted and trusting in him. Now, you might be comparing yourself to Esther and thinking, well, I'm not royalty. I can't save a nation. I can't solve this virus. I'm not an MP. I'm not a world-leading scientist. I'm not some billionaire CEO. Yet God calls each and every one of us to obedience. Recently, on Friday dinners, we've been reading this book to our kids. It's called um, Everyone a Child Should Know. And it's a collection of stories about Christians, uh, inspiring Christians. And recently, we read about Gladys Allwood. Now, she was a maid, pretty uneducated. She was so ordinary that when she wanted to go to China, no mission agency would send her. But she got there eventually on her own. And she told loads of people about Jesus. And she cared for over 100 children. And when war came, she walked those children through the mountains to safety. They made a film about her. God can do extraordinary things with any of us. And yet, most of us will not do extraordinary things in the eyes of the world. And that doesn't make us any less beautiful. It's our devotion to God, not the outcome of that devotion that is what he loves. Tish, um, a, a wonderful woman called Tish Harrison Warren writes in this really great book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. Biblically, there is no divide between radical and ordinary believers. We are all called to be willing to follow Christ in radical ways, to answer the call of the one who told us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And yet we are also called to stability, to the daily grind of responsibility for those nearest us to the challenge of a mundane, well-lived Christian life. Stability. That word seems much more poignant today than when I wrote this message. The challenge to love the BT customer sales assistant who does not understand my Wi-Fi crisis is real. The challenge to be gracious to the multitude of stupid questions you get asked when you are the parent rep for your daughter's class at school is real. The challenge at the moment to stay generous when your toilet roll supply is running very low is at the moment very real. Obedience is true beauty and it brings us blessing. We proudly think we know what's best for us, but the creator of the universe, our Father God, is the only one who sees the history of of humanity from beginning to eternity and knows where we fit in that story. The great rescue plan he is working out of faith through through faith in Jesus Christ. Esther becomes fully obedient. In verse 16, she declares, "'And if I perish, I perish.'" Such commitment to God's call, such courage to place our hands, our lives in the hands of God. Yet we live on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection. We needn't declare, "'If I perish, I perish.'" Alongside Paul, we can declare, "'For me to live is Christ and to die is gain.'" We can live and serve God adding precious people to his kingdom for eternity or when we die we can go and be with him safe for eternity obedience that's the root of Esther's wisdom we don't have time right now to unpack all the richness of her clever rescue plan that unfolds but the text it constantly contrasts Haman and Esther Haman as the fool and Esther as wise It weaves in the wisdom traditions that we now read in Proverbs. The original readers, it would have been clear to them that Esther follows all of it and Haman does the opposite. Esther's not thrown around by emotions. She's a source of strength and stability. Where does that wisdom come from? Proverbs 1, 7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's her obedience to God. He is the source of all wisdom. This is her true beauty and this is what God values in her. It's not her appearance, it's not her elevated position in society, it's a heart and a mind that's aligned and totally trusting in him. Esther was born beautiful but ordinary and God elevated her to an extraordinary position in society. Jesus was extraordinary but chose to come to earth and to become ordinary in order to do the most extraordinary thing the world has ever known. Isaiah 53, two, prophesied of Jesus, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And yet on the cross, dying and bleeding to save us from the punishment for, that we deserve, he was beautiful, the most beautiful act of love we will ever know Jesus gave up his royal position, the king he serves, the king of kings, the creator of the universe, our father God. He asked him to come and rescue us. God didn't need convincing, but we need convincing to receive that rescue, to accept that he is the God before and behind and all around us who loves us to put our trust in him for the first time and then every day after, to choose to trust him above everything and everyone else, to put our lives into his hands because that's the best place to be. Are you recognising the God that sustains you? Or are you still just seeing coincidences? What is he asking of you today? Perhaps it is to take a more active role in loving others and your church and in our church community, even in such an uncertain time. For who knows whether God has brought you to this place and point in your life for such a time as this.
0: Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel.